Hello and welcome to Encouraging Others in Loving Jesus. I am your host, Kim Smith, and we're on episode 122. We are part, this is part, of our More Than Conquerors series, talking about different giants in our life. This week we're talking about the giant of refusing to forgive versus the Lord of Heaven's armies. This doesn't apply to anyone listening by chance, does it? (laughs) Like we've all been there. We've all been there. We are human beings. And if we have a heart to love, we have a heart that has been hurt. And we have been challenged to forgive. I remember uh, probably about 30 years ago, I had someone that was connected with my life that I just plain didn't like. I, I didn't like how they acted. I didn't like how they treated someone in my life. And it became this poison of bitterness in my heart. I remember one particular time I was sleeping and I'm not one to remember my dreams very often. When I do, I know I need to pay attention. I had this dream that this person, well, let's let's put where I am. I am in this cage, like an animal cage. You know how they may have ones that are up top and then they have one down low. Well, I was in the upper part of the animal cages. And this person was walking around in front of me, just grinning. And here I am locked up in this cage. Yeah, guy got my attention that day. And I realized that by holding on to this bitterness over something very, very minor, it was wearing me out. I have a quote in the show notes. It's attributed to Joanna Weaver. And... I just love it. I have ever since the first day I heard it. Bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Just let that sink in just a little bit. And yet we do it. Now, for some of you, you have had offenses done to you that are beyond human word. Sadly, just with the percentages the way they are, I know that at least some of you have been sexually abused. And I am so sorry. Others have been betrayed, experienced rejection in depths, that have hurt you down to the core. And many, many, many other offenses that can change a life. So I am not in any way discounting the offenses which have been done to you. But just as we've been walking through the story of David and Goliath, 
and looking at the giant. See, David, go back and look at the story contained in 1 Samuel 17. And each week when we're talking about the specific giants, I have some of that text in the show notes. Goliath was not like a chump. Like, he was formidable. We wouldn't even care about the story. It wouldn't have been passed down all throughout the years if there wasn't a discrepancy between the human being little David and the very large human being Goliath. Like, if it had been an even Stephen fight, it wouldn't have mattered that David was fighting on behalf of the Lord of Heaven's armies and that he was allowing the Lord of Heaven's armies to fight for him and through him. The giants in our life, the giants we are talking about each week, they're giants for a reason. They are something that out of human willpower and desire, many times we are not able to overcome. David in his own power and strength, well, it wouldn't have gone down well, would it? I mean, he would have been buried in the Valley of Elah. But he wasn't. Because he looked at Goliath and he called him out. Like, he he didn't discount that there was a large giant taunting the Israelites and the Lord of Heaven's armies. But in comparison to the Lord of Heaven's armies that David trusted and for whom he served, he knew he could do this. And I challenge you this very day to think about who is it that you are refusing to forgive. If I were to know you well enough and you and I were to be in a room having a conversation and I were to point to the door and I would say, if so-and-so came through that door, how would you respond? Who would come through that door that would just cause your blood to boil? I used to teach this same lesson. I've taught it for adult ladies, but I've also taught it for youth. And I would, uh, and one time in particular, I went like all out. We had a very large youth room at my church. And I got black streamers. And I was sore after this was all said and done. But I took those black streamers, put them all around the room as if they were the bars of a prison cell. 
just to try to get the point across that bitterness is a prison and it's a self-imposed prison. Are you ready to truly walk out of that prison and live your life as God designed you to live? Or are you going to continue to let the giant of refusing to forgive handcuff you and keep you from being all God created you to be? To let that giant continue to abuse you for some long after the abuser has died but they still hold the power because you continue to hold on to the bitterness the verses that I always use when I talk about this are contained in Matthew 18 verses 21 through 35 it's a story of Jesus talking to Peter. And of course, the other disciples are right around him. And I want you to think about this. I want you to prayerfully think about this. And allow God to bring to mind anyone you need to out of obedience to Christ forgive Luke 23:34 Jesus is hanging on the cross and he says father forgive them for they don't know what they are doing if Jesus who has died at the human hands of the soldiers as well as at the commission of the religious leaders, if he can look down and say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing, is there anything that you cannot forgive? Ephesians 4.32, the Apostle Paul says, Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Let's walk our way through the story of Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Then Peter came to him, talking about Jesus, and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Peter thought he was being the big dog. It was common to for leaders to say that you had to forgive at least three times or to forgive three times and when he says seven he's thinking i'm i'm really like i'm finding like that line that if if they offend me beyond seven times it's on and jesus is like no 70 times seven and that does not mean make a calendar and, and check off every time somebody offends you up to 77 times or 70 times 7, uh, different translations translate it differently. Either way, it's not about the number. It's that 
Jesus is saying, inside of your heart, you have the same capacity as my Father to forgive. God's forgiveness is limitless. And God can pour that same forgiveness through us. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with, with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of the, his debtors was brought in who owed him, a, owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. So we're going to stop right there. We don't experience that for the most part in our day and time where if you are in debt, even extreme debt, you're not thrown in debtor's prison along with your family. Now that doesn't mean you don't suffer consequences and that doesn't mean things can't be really bad. That doesn't even mean that you wouldn't end up necessarily in a homeless shelter. But we don't have such a thing, at least in the States, that's like debtor's prison. But that's the type of life that this person would have experienced, and not only themselves, but their family, including their children, because of their debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. There's no way with the amount that the way the story is written, that this person could possibly, there's no way that he could work enough ever in multiple lifetimes to pay off this debt. But he begs his master. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. In other words, he was forgiven this humongous debt that he could possibly never, ever, ever repay. And he goes out and finds someone who owes him nothing in comparison. And he demands that that man pay him. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters. Woo! Like, I don't have to say anything about God's word. God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And if you are a follower of Christ and you are holding bitterness in your heart, I do not see how possibly that you cannot be under conviction at the sound of those verses. The first servant 
he owed more than he could ever possibly pay, i.e., for us, our sin debt. Something that we could never, we could never work enough, we could never try to clean our act out enough. There's no way we can pay it. And yet, God has forgiven you and me. And yet we hold against others their debts. Who would you absolutely freak out if I had come through the door? Isn't it time to see Christ break the shackles, the chains that have held you for so long? Again, that quote, bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. When are you going to Say, enough is enough. I'm calling out this giant of refusing to forgive. I will not live that life. I will submit my heart and my hurts to Christ and allow Him to give me the courage to forgive and pour healing through my heart. Online, there's a version of Charles Stanley's 13 Steps to Forgiving the Unforgivable. I'll put that link in the show notes. Something I've used many times over the years and have given out to my clients that will just kind of give you a, a framework. Forgiveness, if you have somebody that remains in your life, Forgiveness will be a continuing challenge. Yet the Lord's grace can give you the ability to weather any challenge, even one that you have to face each and every day. I've taught this lesson so many times over the years, and nearly every time I have read a story that touched my life so deeply years ago and I want to read it to you. It is located on guidepost.org. It is a story from the life of Corey Ten Boom. And if you haven't heard of her, do some research on her remarkable, talking about challenges, the remarkable challenges that she faced, and yet the love of Christ that poured out of her and has impacted so many people. The link is in the show notes. So I'm reading this to you. Hold on to your seats for this one. And just allow the Lord to open up your heart and mind to what He is willing to do in you. When you are willing to obey Him and choose to forgive, no matter what your feelings are saying, no matter what others are saying, you choose to let go. Here we go. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. 
People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood in silence. In silence, collected their wraps. In silence, left the room. And that's when I saw him. Working his way forward against the others, one moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next, a blue uniform and a visored cap with, a, with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor. The shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. And now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard in there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time he went on, I have become a Christian, and I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Against, again the hand came out, will you forgive me? And I stood there. I whose sins had every day to be forgiven could not. And Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus said, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. The will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. 
I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands and the former guard and the former prisoner. And I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. And having thus learned to forgive in this hardest of situations, I never again had difficulty in forgiving. I wish I could say that. I wish I could say that merciful and charitable thoughts just naturally flowed from me from then on, but they didn't. If there's one thing I've learned at 80 years of age, it's that I can't store up good feelings and behavior, but only draw them fresh from day, from God each day. Maybe I'm glad it's that way. For every time I go to him, he teaches me something else. I recall the time some 15 years ago when some Christian friends whom I loved and trusted did something which hurt me. You would have thought that having forgiven the Nazi guard, this would be child's play. It wasn't. For weeks I seethed inside, but at last I asked God again to work this, his miracle in me. And again it happened. First the cold-blooded decision, then the flood of joy and peace. I had forgiven my friends. I was restored to my father. Then why was I suddenly awake in the middle of the night, hashing over the whole affair again? My friends, I thought, people I loved. If, I, if it had been strangers, I wouldn't have minded so. I sat and switched on the light. Father, I, I know... It was all forgiven. Please help me to do that. Please help me to leave it there. But the next night I woke again. They had talked so sweetly too. Never a hint of what they were planning. Father, I cried in alarm. Help me. His help came in the form of a kindly Lutheran pastor to whom I confessed my failure. After two sleepless weeks up in a church tower, he said nodding out the window is a bell which is rung by pulling on a rope. But you know that. You know what? After the sexton lets go of the rope, the bell keeps on swinging, first ding, then dong. Slower and slower until there's a final dong, and it stops. I believe the same thing is true of forgiveness. When we forgive someone, we take our hand off the rope. But if we're, we've been tugging at our grievances for a long time, we mustn't be surprised if the old angry thoughts keep coming for a while. They're just the ding-dongs of the old bell slowing down. Does that not touch your heart? You can read the rest of the story at the link in the show notes. I'm going to take a moment just to pray over us. It's a simple prayer. You've, you've got a graphic in the show notes as well. It's one that I've used many times. But I'm going to pray this on behalf of each of you. And may God give you the courage to pray this prayer yourself. To hand over the poison of refusing to forgive and allow God to do exceedingly abundantly more than you could ask or imagine. Dear Lord, only you know the intensity of the poison of bitterness running through my veins. I understand this poison should not reside in the presence of your Holy Spirit. Please use your word to open my spiritual eyes to the ground Satan holds in my heart, your plan for my life, and how I can release this poison today in the healthiest manner. Amen.
I challenge you, go to the website with Charles Stanley's 13 Steps to Forgiving the Unforgivable and start challenging yourself. And again, you may say, there is no way I can forgive. Well, if Christ can forgive, we have, and you have the Spirit of Christ living in you, you have the capacity to forgive. And I do want to absolutely make it clear that forgiveness does not mean reconciliation. Sometimes when we forgive, we are reconciled to the other person. It can happen, and it is a beautiful picture. But it's not always the case. Sometimes the offender continues to offend. If not offending you, he's doing something to someone else. He's still He or she is still not honoring God with their life. That is not the type of person you want to reconcile with. But letting go of the poison of bitterness, that is a totally different thing. That is being obedient to God's prompting in your life and to his word to forgive as Christ has forgiven you. If you have any questions, comments, please don't hesitate to write me at encouragingothersinlovingjesus at gmail.com. I thank you so very much for tuning in. And again, remember, it's always a trust and obey kind of day. Mm -hmm.